Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Okay, well good morning again. All right, some of you need some more coffee. All right. <laughs> I'm used upstairs where the energy is up here. <laughs> Thank you for feeding your kids chocolate before you come. It's great. All right. We are in a series, but if you look on the screen entitled The Prodigal God, or on the back wall behind me, The Prodigal God, and it is based on a book uh, by the same name uh, by Dr. Timothy Keller, who is the pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan, uh, New York. Dr. Keller started the church, he and his wife started the church some years ago, and uh, started out with six people, I believe, and now they are in six services with over 5,000 people. And so the Lord's blessed uh, Dr. Keller in a great way. In my opinion, he is probably uh, one of the greatest modern-day theologians uh, alive, and a profound, profound teacher of God's Word, and really enjoy reading his, his work. Two weeks ago, Pastor Lynn kicked off our series, The Prodigal God, by doing an overview of the parable itself. And then last week, he shared with you about the, the people who surrounded Jesus while he was teaching this particular parable. And he talked about and shared with you that there were two audiences present. The tax collectors and the sinners, and the teachers and the Pharisees. Teachers of the law and the Pharisees. I no doubt believe that the disciples were there as well. But the, 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 the Bible does not list the disciples, but I'm sure that they were close by. And we are going to pick up in verse 11 of chapter 15. And just to give you a real quick uh, background of what happened before we get to verse 11. Is that Jesus has already told two other parables before he, sh- before he shares this one. The parable of the lost coin and the parable of the lost sheep. Okay, And then he, he goes into sharing the parable of the prodigal son. It's what most folks know that as. Okay, But we're going to refer to our study today, or our lesson today, is the lost younger son, dot, 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 give me my share. Sounds like a lot of people I know, including Daryl. Give me my share. Okay, so that's what we're going to talk about today, and uh, we're going to pick up and we're going to read the entire passage, and then we'll come back and dissect it and break it down in a little bit more detail. Let's pick up verse 11. Jesus continued, so in other words, he's already told these other two parables, and now he's, he's starting into the third. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between him. Long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. 
I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said, you see this? Not to his son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So our very first thing we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at the meaning of the request. The request on the part of the son. What does this request mean? And we're going to start back in verse 11 and read through the first part of verse 12. But Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So what does this mean? Father, give me my share of the estate. Give me my share of your property. Now, if I want you to put, I'm going to ask you many times this morning to put yourself in the audience that Jesus is talking to there. So we need to transport ourselves to that audience, okay, to, to understand and grasp the meaning of this teaching of this parable, okay? So, if you're sitting there and you hear Jesus tell this parable, and the very first thing that Jesus shares in the parable is, the son says, give me my share of the estate. What does that mean? If you're sitting there and you hear that, you will, your jaw will drop. Because in that day and time, that was unheard of. Unheard of. Today it's unheard of as well. No one goes to their dad. No one goes to their mom and says, give me my share of the estate now. And in that day and time, it was unheard of as well. And in Middle Eastern culture, to ask for the inheritance while the father is alive to wish him dead. So in other words, the son goes to daddy and says, daddy, I'd assume you were dead. I want my part. Give me my share. What I am entitled to, I want it now. So, I don't care. I want it now. That was, the, that was the request. That was the meaning behind the request. So, the request, therefore, would have been a disgrace to the family. Would have been a disgrace to the family name. Because the younger son's extraordinary disrespect for his father would have been known in the community. Okay? The community would have been aware of this total disrespect for the dad. And they would have been shocked to it as well. Not only was it a sign of disrespect to the father, it was also a blow to the economic standing of the dad. The economic standing to the dad. Because then a person's status in the community was known by how much you owned. Your property, livestock, things such as that. And so there was, there was an economic impact to the, to the situation as well because he had to sell part of his state to have liquid assets to give to the son. So that was the impact there as well. But this is the most important impact, and I don't want you to miss this. The request ripped at the father's heart. I dare say there's anyone in this room who's had their child look at them and say, in so many words, I wish you were dead. 
so I could have mine. I could have my share. I could have my part. My, 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 my. See, this request had a relational impact the Father and the Son. Everything changed from that day forward because of a simple request. I want mine. Give me my share. Why would he make this request? Well, I think uh, Augustine, in his writings entitled Confessions, gives us a pretty good idea of possibly the reason why. Augustine said that our hearts are distorted by what he termed disordered loves. Disordered loves. In other words, we love and we rest our hearts in and find purpose in things or people to give us the joy and meaning in our lives, get this, that only can be supplied by the Lord. So in other words, everyone in this room, everyone who's ever been born, we're born with with a void here in your heart. And we do an excellent job in America in this day and time of filling that void, putting, putting things in that hole in our heart with things, people, job, possessions, things such as that. And Augustine calls that disorder love. Disorder loves. Now, my first car was a 1973 Chevelle Supersport. Oh, buddy, it was bad. (laughs) Gene, what was your first car? A horse? (laughs) 78 Pinto. That wasn't the answer I was looking for. (laughs) Gene, what was yours? Toyota Celica. Joe? 73 Nova. Mm, Not bad. Matt? Matt? Ooh, ooh. <laughs> I'm glad we ended up the Mustang after starting on a Pinto. <laughs> it beats walking, don't it, Gene? <laughs> All right. Now, when I was 16, got my car. Man, I love my car. Love my Chevelle. Man, I love that thing. Every Saturday after I got off work at Winn-Dixie after bagging groceries, yeah, we used to bag them, carry them out, folks. That, you know, don't happen no more, right? Okay. Every Saturday I get home from work. I wouldn't eat when I got home. I wouldn't change clothes. I would grab the water hose and I'd wash my car every Saturday. My car was my disordered love when I was 16. Okay. I love my car. I worship my car. Now, <laughs> why would I wash my car so much? Because I loved it. And number two, I was dating. I wasn't dating Sandra yet. Sandra and I had not met yet. Okay? When my son Adam got his first car and he started dating, I said, you know, that day, I said, you want to wash your car, right? What would I do that for? (laughs) You don't pick up your date in a dirty ride. You want to, you know, impress so you, you, you go in a clean car, all right? But the point being that I love my car. I thought the world of it. Man, I, I love that thing. I wish, I wished a thousand times over I wish I still had that thing, you know? And so 
that car was my disordered love at that period in my life. And I loved it. I loved it to death. Now, I need to ask you a question. What are some things present day, what are some things right now in your life? People, things, that could be your career, that you desire more than you do a relationship with the Father. Because if there's anything there, any of those things, they are a disordered love. Because that thing, person, is your love instead of God. Instead of your relationship with God. Instead of your relationship with the Father. See, the younger son, we don't, uh, there's there's a lot of things we don't know about the story, you know, that we can just uh, assume. But the younger son may have lived with his father and up to this point maybe even, even obeyed his father. But we do know, because of his request, he did not love the father. The thing that he loved ultimately was what the father provided. Now, there is a big difference. You get that, right? A love for the father and the things the father provides. His heart was set on the wealth and the comfort, freedom, status that that wealth brought. And see, his dad was just the means to the end. His dad was the one that just provided all that. And evidently, he just grew tired of his relationship with his dad. And that's why he goes to make the request. And we can see, evidently, it's sad. We can see that through his request, he was tired of waiting for his dad to die. Hmm. So that he could have his share. Let's look at the first response to the request. The first response. Real quick, just seven words. So he divided his property between them. Between the younger son and the older son. The elder son. Now, I've mentioned a moment ago that this request would have shocked the audience that were sitting there listening to Jesus tell this parable. This right here would have really made their jaw drop. He sold his property and divided it between them. Because in a patriarchal society in which you were required to show deference and respect to your elders or especially to your parents was the way things were in that day and time. Times have changed a lot, ain't they? Hmm. So the listeners there, I'm sure, around Jesus would have expected the Father, instead of doing this, divided his property between them, would have expected Jesus to say, so the Father drove him out of the house with blows and with anger and rage. But no, Jesus says he divided his property between them. So we need to put ourselves in the context of Jesus' teaching here. And in those days... Most of the family's wealth was bound up in their property, like I said earlier. So their property was basically their identity. And what they were known, who they were known as in the community. So the loose part of your land was the loose part of yourself and a major share of your standing in the community. And so, again, it was, it was likely that the father had to sell. What he sold was able to sell to, to get a, the liquid assets. So how remarkable is this response of the father here? 
I think it can be seen in the word. You'll see it there on the screen. It says property. Jesus didn't use a Greek word to describe 40 acres on the hill. Okay? He used a word in the Greek that is called bio, bios. <laughs> B-I-O-S. It is the root word from where we get our word biology. All of you who graduated high school, and those of you who are in high school, have taken biology, which is the study of life. So let's substitute the word life for property. So he divided his life between them. That that takes on more meaning, doesn't it? Not just 40 acres or whatever and, you know, 25 camels. He divided his life between the two sons. I think it is without a doubt that these, this audience here would have been totally shocked if they were not already at the choice of the word that Jesus used here. Divided his life between them. Why would Jesus use that word? And there, were, there were all kinds of words that he could have used there and substituted instead of the word property. He chose the word bios. Why, why do you think he chose that? I think it was probably because it was a way to convey what it felt like for the father to lose his land, to lose his family's good name, and most importantly, to lose the relationship with the son. It tore his life apart. And that's what the father was being asked to do by the son. Daddy, I want you to tear your life apart for me because I want my share. I want what's entitled to me. Tear your life apart. I don't care about you. I don't care about your name. I don't care about your identity in this community. I just want my part. Now, I want to bring this around to us. Uh, I want to remind you today, or to inform you today, if you do not know this, that God was willing for his son to be a tor- torn apart for you. Do you understand that God allows you to make choices in this life? He allows you to make choices in this life knowing full well what the outcome of that choice will be. Because if he didn't, he wouldn't be God. Right? I mean, he knows. See, see, God's not a puppet master. And we have strings attached to the back of our, our necks. And he's up there manipulating us and making or causing us to choose the things that we choose to do. Sin. God's not up there making you do X, Y, or Z. It's your choice. Your choice. And we're going to see at the end today why I think he allows that to happen. So we've seen the first response to the request. Let's see what the result of the, the request. Verses 13 through 19. The result of the request. So the sons come to the dad. Daddy, I want my part. Daddy says, sells his, his part, sells property and gets for the son to have his part. Verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. We don't know how much that is. It's more than he used to have. Set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. 
So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the paws that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he, comes, when he came to his senses, he said, Have me and my father's hired men have food to spare. And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. Now in our story today, in our parable today that Jesus is teaching here, the younger son sits out for the distant land. And I want you to understand that the distant land represents for him and for us today represents a separation from the Father. For you and I, it's a separation from God. For him, it was his earthly father. Okay? The distant land is an area of life that is lived without God. It is a country where we say, hands off, God. I got this. I don't need you involved in my relationships, God. I don't need you involved in my daily life. I don't need you involved in my job. God, I don't need you involved in my family. I don't need you involved in, in the, the way I am in my community. Whatever, whatever that looks like for you, you plug it in. The distant country, the distant land. And, you know, for a lot of times, just like the parable that we're looking at here today, Life in the distant land starts out pretty good. You see, the lost younger son, the Bible says, took all his head and squandered all he had, all his wealth on wild living. So you could basically say, sex, drugs, rock and roll. Right? That's the attitude today, right? I don't care about tomorrow. It's today I'm living in the present. No, I don't care what tomorrow looks like or what's going to happen next week and what my choices today, how they're going to impact next week and my choices tomorrow, how's that going to impact two months from now? It's today. The distant land is all about today. And so I need to ask you this morning, is there an area of your life that you treat as a distant land, that you treat as a distant country where... Where God the Father is not present. You've left. He's no longer on the scene. And it, it's true for us, it's like it was true for the younger son. Life in the distant land will often result in a famine. There will come a time for your life, I promise you. Mark it down. It will happen. It happened here. There will be a place where there's no hope where there will be profound need, where there is a sense of emptiness and loneliness, and it's overwhelming. Life in the distant land will bring a dramatic conclusion as well. A very dramatic conclusion. It brings a sudden awareness to the hard truth. <laughs> I love this. Verse 17. When he came to his senses. We have no idea how long that this took, how long it had to take for this to happen. We don't know. The Bible just says he squandered all of his wealth on wild living, lost everything he had. Then he came to his senses. That's a hard truth, ain't it? It's a hard truth to learn. 
Life is full of hard knocks. Life is full of lessons that we have to learn that are very difficult at times. When I was growing up, one of my favorite guys, I, cartoons I used to watch was Popeye. Remember Popeye? Right? Some of you older folks are like, who the heck's Popeye? That's a goofy name. I know. <laughs> Tell them my age. What did Popeye always do when he got in trouble? Found himself in a bad spot, tough situation. What did he do to get out of it? Eat spinach. I'm glad I'm not the only one who watched Popeye. Okay. <laughs> Makes me feel better about myself. Does anyone remember what Popeye said before he ate the spinach? Bingo! I stood it till I can't stands no more. That's what Popeye would say. That's what he would say, stands. <laughs> this is what the younger brother has, the lost younger brother says. He came to his senses. How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? I am starving to death. A hard conclusion to a fact, a true fact. Hard to understand it, hard to grasp it, hard to accept it, even more so, right? He came to his Popeye moment. I can't stand no more. I can't stand being in the distant country. I can't stand being broke. I cannot stand being in the pig pen. I cannot stand smelling like pigs. I'm starving to death. There are people today that are just like that. There are people who refuse to be honest about their circumstances. This guy... He looked in the mirror, and he seen that he was the reason that he was where he was, where he was located, the situation he was in. He understood that he was there. And so I must ask you this question this morning. Would you be willing to be honest about your circumstance? Where you find yourself? Would you be honest like he is? I'm starving to death. He's not only honest about his circumstances, he's also honest about the responsibility. Who's responsible? He says in verse 18, Who sinned? Does that say daddy? Nah. Does that say my older brother? Nah. Ah. I have sinned. He is accepting his responsibility for the situation he finds himself in. He knows that he is to blame. He understands that he's the reason he's there, not the Father's fault. He recognizes that he is the one who sinned against both God and against his earthly father. Do you normally accept responsibility for your sin? You don't have to raise your hand. (laughs) You don't have to answer that out loud. God knows if you accept responsibility for your sin. I'm not too sympathetic, and I may be wrong about this. God will tell me one day, I guess. I'm not too sympathetic to when some folks say, well, I was raised this way, or I was raised that way, and it's my mom or dad did this, and my mom and dad did that. Well, first of all, I want to apologize if you were mistreated as a child. 
That's one of my peeps upstairs. See, it's all good. It may bother Pastor Lynn, but it don't bother me a lick. Okay? All right. My point is this. We live in a day and time where very, not many people, uh, not as many people as should, accept responsibility for where they find themselves. Well, it's so-and-so's fault. It's my spouse's fault. It is my mom and dad's fault. It was my, it's my teacher's fault. You know, if I'd only learned this, or if I only did that, if I did, if they hadn't have done this, or they hadn't have done that, or you know, on and 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 on. Okay, get this. If I want to end up over there at that stack of green boxes, I've got to point my feet over there. Correct. Get there. I got to point my feet that way. If I put my feet back here, I'm not going to get over there. No way. It's an impossibility. <laughs> That's right. They're looking for me. Oh, you wouldn't believe the grief that I got between services when I went up there. You deserted us. <laughs> oh, I did the search. <laughs> Take it up with the preacher. <laughs> no, just kidding. Where was I at? <laughs> Wrong direction. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the, if, if you want to live a life being faithful to God, pleasing God, you got to point your feet that way. If God's over there and your feet's pointed that way, you're not going to end up over there, folks. You will find yourself in the distant land. You will find yourself where there's famine. You will find yourself where there is you're in the pig pen. You will find yourself to the point where you will come to your senses and say, I am starving to death. I will go back, turn my feet back toward the Father. He did it. I will set out and go back to my Father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. That was his plan. That was his plan. He was honest about what he deserved. I want you to understand, it's very important that we don't miss this, okay? It's one thing to go back and tell daddy you're sorry. It's a totally different thing to go back and say, daddy, I'm going to pay you back. One of the songs that John and, and the group sang, I asked him to sing. One thing remains. The kids love that song upstairs. Without any help of Daryl whatsoever, because Daryl does not have one creative bone in his body, they have put together motions to that song. And they do it on their own. It is so cool. And there are some lines in that song that say this in death in life in your, his love is constant my debt is paid this son had a debt that he owed the daddy where the daddy sold his stuff so he could have his share that's what he's speaking of here to pay my debt back to daddy 2013, September 22nd, you and I, we have a debt 
that had to be paid. It's called sin debt. That can only be paid for. Only way. By Jesus. You can't pay it. It's a possibility. Only the blood of Christ can pay that debt. Only the blood of Christ. In that day and time, the rabbis taught that if you had violated the community standards, an apology, just an apology, not just saying, Daddy, I've sinned against you and fought against heaven and against you. That was not enough. The rabbis taught that there's another standard here. They taught that you also had to make restitution. So he couldn't just say, I'm sorry. So that, he's developed a plan here. Sounds like a great plan, doesn't it? Let's go to verse 20. Let's see what happens. Ah, he gets up and goes. He formulates this plan where? In the distant land, famine going on in the pig pen, smells like pigs. Formulates this plan. He doesn't say, okay, I'll go next week. I'll go in next month or so. I Maybe I can stand this pig pen a little bit longer. He gets up and goes to the father. I need you, Greg, in just a moment. I want you to, everybody look at the screen. If he doesn't do this right here, he got up and went to his father. Greg, go back to verse 7, or David, there you go, David. 17 doesn't matter. You do understand that. It doesn't matter if he comes to his senses or not. Unless, verse 20, go back. He gets up and goes to the Father. So it's one thing to come to your senses and say, Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. He realizes that. Oh, the light bulb comes on. Then he gets up. Now I have found that a lot of people spiritually speaking they get to that point they come to their senses I messed up my feet are pointed in the wrong direction I'm living in the distant land I'm in the pig pen and it stops they don't do that they don't get up they don't change their direction and head toward the father they stay in the pig pen are you ever guilty of that you don't move I wonder why that's so. My grandfather, when I was growing up, used to raise pigs. Gosh, they stunk. Guess where the pig pen was? You're going to love this. Right beside the outhouse. You couldn't tell the difference. <laughs> it was bad. Now, if you, if you were in the room and you have no idea what an outhouse is, go ask your mom and daddy when you get home. Okay? But some people will stop right there. They will not get up and get up and moving toward the Father. And in our parable today, Jesus is talking about moving to God the Father. Returning to the Father. Returning there. So he gets up. And I need to ask you this morning. Do you stop at verse, verse 17? Does the light bulb come on and you stop? You don't want to move for whatever reason. Or do you get up trusting that the Father will restore? Let's look at our last response. 
The last response to the request. But while he was still a long way off, the son's coming back. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. So the father sees his son, sees him coming down the road, the trail, toward the house. Have no idea what the son looked like. He could have had rags on. Don't know. Have no idea. The Bible doesn't tell us that. But I do know what the father does. The father takes off running. Now, as a general rule, it was unheard of in that day and time for a distinguished patriarchal man, specifically the father, to run. Never, ever ran. What would have to happen? Well, he had to pull his robe up which would expose his bare legs. That never happened. Children ran. Young men ran. Sometimes women would run. But never, ever, never, ever the father. Unheard of. The father takes off running and openly, openly showing his emotion for his son who's now home. Some of you here this morning... You need to know there's a Father in heaven who's who's looking for you. He's looking for you. He's wanting you to come home. And He wants to wrap His arms around you and to show you grace and forgiveness and love. doesn't matter where you've been it doesn't matter what the distant country looked like it doesn't matter what you've done he just wants you I love how in our story the father the father interrupts the son doesn't reply to the son you ever noticed that have you read this story he talks to the servants quick get the best robe Get the sandals. Get the fattened calf. The robe was his own. His sandals was his own. All out of love. All out of love that the father was wanting to restore the son. The father does not say, in looking at the son, I'm going to wait till you repay this debt you owe me. I'm going to wait till you get on your hands and knees and beg for forgiveness. We did not read that there. I'm simply going to take you back. As you are, I'm taking you back. Now, anyone in that community would have thought that that was foolish to do that. Foolish to give him the best robe. Foolish to put sandals on his feet. Foolish to kill the fattened calf. 
Because the fattened calf was only killed on the rarest of occasions. Very rare. How rare is this? Verse 24. This son of mine was dead. And now he's alive. Wow. That's rare. He's lost and he's now found. That is reason to celebrate. Amen. Reason to celebrate. Reason to celebrate and throw a party. Now, I really believe that if the father had done what was customary in that day and time, when the, same, the son came to him for the request, say, give me my share. If the father would have done what was customary in that day and time, which would have been to drive him out of the house, get out of here, do not ever come back. You are no longer my son. You are dead to me. If the father had said that, instead of dividing his property between he, the younger son and the older son, I do not think the younger son would have ever, ever came back. Because he knew how his daddy felt about him. Your heavenly father feels the same about you. No matter what you do, God the Father wants you to come back and will accept you as you are. Because, you see, the Father, he bore the agony and the pain of the Son's sin himself. The Father sold his property, not the Son's, sold his property. The Father accepted the fact that he had lost that because the debt was gone the father took care of that and so the father kept open the door for that relationship to be restored and restored and it was so what does this message mean to you and i today what does the message of the lost younger brother mean to us at day three it means <laughs> tell him daryl says hey <laughs> it means that the lord has done for us what the father in the parable done for his son when God came into this world it could have been expected for him to come in wrath to appear and to drive out sinners with blows and with anger but no 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 he did not Jesus did not come with a sword in his hand but with nails in his hands Jesus did not come to bring judgment, but to bear your judgment and my judgment. Jesus did not come with a debt. He came to pay our debt. He went to the cross in weakness, and there, voluntarily, he gave up his life and was willingly torn apart, not for his property, not for his garment, but he did so on our behalf so that we can have a relationship with the Father. He did so so that when we repent like the lost younger son, we can receive forgiveness and reconciliation to God. And so how does this help us with any disordered loves that I spoke of earlier today? How does that help us out today? Well, objectively it means that there is real, true forgiveness for us today. 
Real and true. Our guilt is dealt with by the blood of Jesus. Subjectively, when we see the, the absolute beauty of what Jesus has done for us, it captures our hearts. I love and I requested that Aaron and John and the, and the folks sing the last song that they sung before I spoke. The more I seek you. When is the last time that you sat, took God's word, and intentionally, on purpose, sought God? I, would, I guarantee you that if you would do what that song says, the more I seek you, the more I find you. The more I find you, the more I love you. You will grow in, you will go, you will grow in love with a Heavenly Father that loves you immensely by spending time in His Word. The more you look at Jesus, the more you will love Him above anyone or anything else. Because, get this folks, again, I can't hammer it home enough. He is the one that fills that void. He is the one that displaces and takes the place of that disordered love. Not your spouse, not your kids, not your job, not what you drive. None of that. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. He is it. Numero uno. Number one. All these other things are pretenders, they, and they, they just pacify. God's love and forgiveness can pardon and restore any and every kind of sin or wrongdoing. Somebody ought to say amen there. Let me say it again. Jesus' love and forgiveness can cover and take care of any sin or wrongdoing. Amen. Amen. Any sin, not just the bad ones, okay? Any sin, any sin. It does not matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are. The younger brother had everything. Food to spare, the Bible says. But he chose to leave the father. But there was grace to spare, and that's why he came back. That's why he came back. And the, fa and the father covered his sin. You may have sit there this morning and, if you, and you've not identified with the lost younger brother. That's great. If, if you have trusted Christ with your Savior, as your Savior, you're not a lost younger brother, okay? But I'm not naive enough, and I hope you're not naive enough to think that you're, that you're not here by accident. And what I mean is this. No, you're not a lost younger brother. You've trusted Christ and you're following Jesus. Awesome. No doubt. You probably have people in your life, family, neighbors, co-workers, people you go to school with, who are lost younger brothers. You see it in their lives. You see that they're on a distant land. You see that they are living a quote-unquote pig pen style life away from the Father and you see that their feet are going the wrong way maybe God wants to use you to get them out of the distant land that may be God's message for you today I want to use you I want to use you to impact this lost younger brother or this lost younger sister
Possibly God wants to use you to be a rescue agent. You ever thought about that? It's awesome to be used to God. Let's pray. Lord, I love you this morning because you first loved me. And Lord, I know that is true of everyone in this room. Lord, you received us. You received us unto yourself despite God. How long we stayed in the distant country. You received us despite our appearance. You received us despite what we've done. God, I thank you for that. We're so undeserving. And God, I thank you that you are a father who receives us with open arms, with forgiveness, and with grace, and with mercy. There may be some today, God, who are present, Lord, who are a lost younger brother, who are, who find themselves, God, in a distant country, who know, God, that their feet are pointed the wrong way, away from you. God, I just ask that you overwhelm overwhelm them at this time, God, with your love. Help them, Lord, to understand that there is grace. There is abundance. There is abundant love, God, in a relationship with you. That you fill that void that we try to replace with other stuff. Lord, there's still others who may be here today who... Have trusted you, God, who are following you. But Lord, there's others in their life who are lost younger brothers or sister types, God, that you want to use them to bring you rescue. Lord, however this message applies today, everyone in this room, we ask God that you help us to do as the younger brother did, to help us to get up, to take action, to be obedient. Once we go through this time of response, I ask that your will be, will be done in each life. Which in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.